right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Adam Drovetta. I am Derek Johnson. We're out a little bit early today, 520 for High School Softball City Showdown between Lawrence High and Free State, 530. So that's exciting. Joel Becker. And Colsey DeButar. Last one was pretty exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think there was a game-winning play in the end. I think Lawrence High was able to uh, come out on top, so maybe Free State will get a little revenge tonight. So it should be a good one here here tonight on KLWN. We've got Matt Tate joining the show in about 35 minutes from right now. We've got Kevin Flaherty at 440. Two more matchups of our CST trivia. One featuring our defending champ. The other featuring our former host and also the enemy of RCST Trivia 2022. So should be a ge- uh, good day of uh, trivia and action today. Um, we've gone through a couple of our player deep dives so far. We've gone through KJ Adams. We went through Cam Martin. Zach Clements. Uh, I'm sorry, Zach Clements. The one we're going to do today is Cam Martin. I was getting ahead of myself there. Um, and I think this one is, like with Zach Clements, we talked about this. The ceiling is maybe he could be like an all-Big 12-level player or, or starter playing a lot of minutes, right? With K.J. Adams, the the ceiling is whatever, and, and the floor for both those guys is at least being like a rotation player. I, I think the, there's a wider range of outcomes. Maybe not wider, but um, the floor here is a little bit lower in that uh, who knows what it looks like for Cam Martin this year, and, and it's always hard to tell when you have a guy jumping up from Division Two. It has to help, though, that you did redshirt a year, and you mm-hmm. did get more accustomed with the length and the size and the physicality and the athleticism and, and things that you're going to have to deal with at the D1 level. Yeah, nothing will surprise him next year. No. Um, but these are a reminder of, of what Cam Martin did. And this is the thing. Like, Cam Martin, if you remember, when he picked Kansas, like the other schools that were interested in, interested in him, it was like Creighton, Texas. Like, yeah. there were other big schools interested. Uh, he played three years at Missouri Southern State under Jeff Boshi. He averaged 23.7 points per game for his three-year career. His last year, he zipped toward 25. 9.3 point rebounds per game, over a block per game, 59% from the field, 39% from three. He was 44.5% from three his final year, 80% at the foul line. By all accounts, a very efficient offensive player. Um, you might be also wondering, you know, how did he do against some of the top competition? Well, they played Northwest Missouri State twice, who wins the title like every year. Um, one of the, the best programs in, in college basketball. Mean, one of the most consistent top programs in all of college basketball. Exactly. They're amazing. Uh, the first game that he played against them. Did well. Hit 30 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. So, yeah, again, did very well. And uh, the second game he played against them, I don't know if he got hurt or what happened, but he only played 14 minutes, and he got 2 points, 1 rebound. That was by far his season low for minutes. Every other game is like 30 or above. So, I I don't know. Like I said, he might have just got hurt in that game, but that one, obviously, the stats jump off in a negative way that it wasn't uh, much of an impact there. So, like I said, the jump from D2 is always difficult, but one thing that's interesting is I see – 
the move that Ryan Hawkins made. And Ryan Hawkins was on those Northwest Missouri State teams. He was one of the star players for Northwest Missouri State with Trevor Hudgens. And Ryan Hawkins went to Creighton last year making that jump. And and he didn't have the sit-out year, the redshirt year that Cam Martin did have. Um, Hawkins, when he was at Northwest Missouri State with the Bearcats, averaged 22.6 points, 8.8 rebounds per game. So, I mean, just in terms of the the pure stats of the points and rebounds, like those are very similar with Cam Martin. Now, that said, Hawkins did it on a much better team, so it's harder to have really good numbers on a better team with more pieces around than it is on a team that, you know, it, it's not like Missouri Southern State was like terrible, but they think, weren't. Think of O.A. Right? Kansas. They yeah, had exactly. a lot of great players, but not one person dominating the stats. Mm-hmm. But Hawkins went up to Creighton last year, and he averaged almost 14 points, almost eight rebounds per game, helped Creighton go to the second round of the NCAA tournament, helped Creighton almost beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament. He had a big game. Now, again, in the same way that the stats can be different when you add in the context there, he's also a different player than Cam Martin. He's a six foot seven stretch four who has a little bit of bounce to him, can drive a little bit and, and pass and stuff. Whereas Cam Martin, more athletically, is a bit of more of a, I think, I don't know, plotting big man might be too offensive to the athleticism, but he's not someone who is known for being like fleet of foot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's not someone who's known for being just this like ultra athlete. So they're different positions and maybe the transition for Hawkins is a little easier playing a stretch four than it would be for Cam Martin. But the the recipe, the blueprint is there to show you that yes, if you're a really good player in D2, you can make that jump. Yeah. Um I uh yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I do think the nature of the position um, will make things more difficult for him. Um, I'll be honest with you. I and I know we'll we'll get to the floor ceiling talk here in a moment. I I don't know. I'm willing to be surprised. I I really don't see a high ceiling for this kid. Well, I, I, may, I, and maybe it's the position. Um, I the you big know, thing to me is defense because yeah. we know Bill Self. Like, you have to – it's not that you have to be, like, the best defender in the world, but you have to know what you're doing defensively. You have to try defensively. Yeah. You have to at least bring something defensively, right? And um, in the case of Cam – like I said – There's with, just so many dudes I right. don't know that he can defend. With Ryan Hawkins, I think it's easier to, if you're not that good defensively as a stretch four and you have this – I know he didn't play in the Kansas game, but if you have this seven foot one center who's blocking all these shots next to you, that's a lot easier to survive on the floor than for Cam Martin, who is the last line of defense and maybe you know might struggle a little bit more defensively than, than Hawkins in that situation. And I think that is kind of part of the crux of this all. Now, I, I also have uh, heard some stories that um, the dude was – I don't know, maybe, uh, hmm, how should I put this lightly? Uh, didn't take to coaching as much as you'd like during practice. I can put, I can say something I heard even more bluntly than that. I heard that he was, he was there to shoot threes. Yeah, exactly. Word, word for word, what I heard Yeah, is he was there to shoot threes. Now, look, maybe that changes. Maybe he saw what, you know, the good that comes from, you know, going with what the coaches say and, and maybe everything changes and he becomes, you know, and, and, and he um, really comes after it next year. That's entirely possible. But I heard over the course of the season he showed up to shoot threes and that was about it. Right, which, you know, you never know. Maybe he could carve out a role doing just that. But um, I, I think that's important to note. Nonetheless, uh, having this conversation, obviously, into what his playing time could be, what his role could be, obviously you have to talk about the other players at his position and, and where he kind of sits on the depth chart. 
And I think it's important to bring this up. So, again, last year they bring him on. I don't think the intention when they brought him on was ever to say, hey, we're bringing you on and we're planning on redshirting you. I think the intention was, hey, let's bring him on. We're going, we're, we're trying to win a title this year. Mm-hmm. He is a win-now player. He is a, a essential, he is a senior we are bringing on to basically play one year for us and be play backup big minutes and, and you know, maybe push Mitch Lightfoot to be the backup yeah. big, right? Um, that ended up not being the case, and I think it went even further than that. I think it was, it wasn't just that Mitch was ahead of him on on the depth chart. It was that Zach Clements was ahead of him because um, we had it into. I forget if it was the first or second exhibition game, and at that point, Zach Clements it seemed like had already beaten him out, which that wasn't a great sign because you know it, it's easier to see Clements now and you see some of the the highs that he had over the season some of the the flashes that he had and it makes sense over the course of a, a whole year as a freshman your, your top recruit you brought in that eventually his talent was going to surpass that but the fact that that happened at the beginning of the yeah. season right before like you're playing against the experienced guy and and self is not the kind of guy you know this isn't a perfect comparison but we talk about the the sunken cost fallacy with with sports guys Sports pro sports teams, like sports guys. What a term! With <laughs> We're pro, sports guys with pro sports teams. Um, self is not the kind of guy where if Zach Clements comes in and Cam Martin is clearly better than him in their practices, boot camp would have taken place during that. He's not the kind of guy to go. Well, this guy we brought up from a D two school, but man, we sure used a lot of resources to recruit this Clements kid. Let's really. He's not the kind of guy to do no. that. He's going to say, I mean. The Hunter Hunter Mickelson, the perfect example. He went back and asked the players, "Who do you play better with?" They said Landon Lucas. We all know what happened from then on out. So if you know self, unless something changed in his mindset, but he's never been the kind of coach to say, "Well, we wasted a lot of recruiting resources to get this Clements kid in. We need to give him every oh. benefit of the doubt." If if Cam Martin had beaten Clements out, it would have shown in the playing time, right? And so that was like. Because that was uh, that was talked about in the offseason. It's like, do you redshirt Zach Clements or do you redshirt Cam Martin? Or, you know, I, I don't even know that the Cam Martin one was a discussion because, like we said, it felt like he was coming in there for one year. And then it was like, no, we're going to redshirt Cam Martin, not Zach Clements. So you were already behind him last year. So it's hard for me to say that you wouldn't be behind him again this year. Um, if KJ Adams is playing the five, I, I think it'd be fair to say like he would be in front of him on the depth chart right now as well. Now, we don't really know. Is, is KJ going to be a three, four? Is he going to be a five this year? Who knows? Uh, remains to be seen. But nonetheless, that means you're either second or third on the depth chart. Um, by all accounts, I would be honestly pretty surprised if Ernest Uday wasn't ahead of him on the depth chart, knowing that, like I said, the the value of defense that he could provide uh, with shot blocking and could rebound the, the yeah. basketball, you know? He could be the, the, the shot blocker that we all talked about, that KU, McCormick kind of evolved into it, but they never had a Withy or an Aldrich over the course of the year. Yeah, and so I... Ernest Uday is a higher-rated recruit than Zach Clements was coming in, and I get it. Cam Martin now has that extra year in the system, but again, if you maybe weren't doing everything the coaches wanted you to do, like how much in the system and, and without playing games are you going to be? Because even in the case of of guys like you know Malik Newman, who sat out a year with you in the program, or Charlie Moore, it wasn't just that, hey, we sat out a year and we got to know the program and it was immediate like impact for us. Like Malik Newman, it still took a while. I think it it more is about playing while you're there in the program than just practicing because you're more on the scout team when you're just practicing. Jeff Withy came, he transferred from Arizona at a time when you still had to sit out. And he transferred at a weird time to where he transferred over Christmas of 
08, 09. So his full year of sitting out was second semester 09. I mean, was, was yeah, the, the second semester of the 08, 09 year and the first semester of the 09, 2010 year. But my point is, it took him, at, even after his redshirt time, which wasn't a full, it, it was a, it was two semesters. It just was the parts of two different seasons is what I'm trying to say. But even after that redshirt time, it still took him a lot of time to carve out his place. Now, for half of those, one half of those years, he was behind Cole Aldrich. But even in that 10-11 season, it took him a lot of time to carve out his place. So, yeah, you can go back and go through the guys who transferred, and, boy, whatever they learned in the redshirt year, it's still no guarantee that they're just going to step in and, and be like, whoa, you know, yeah, have I, at it. I think it, it basically means not all years in the Bill Self program are equal, right? Yeah. Again, if if you're being asked to play scout team the whole year, like how much are you really? Yeah, that's a good point. So I anyway, my point there is to say that I don't necessarily view it as oh, but he has a year in the program and Uday doesn't. To say that would give him a big edge. So I mean, you're looking there. He's anywhere between two through four on the depth chart. And if you're the fourth center, you're you're not really playing. Um, so I think his playing time is kind of, in my opinion, tied to. Kansas playing some form of too big basketball, which we, we've talked about a little. Like, are they going to do it at all? Is it something Bill Self's moved on from? Do they go back to it a little? Because if you are going to do it, you do have more of the horses this year with a guy like Zach Clements who can stretch the floor. But yep. even if they do play too big basketball, it's still not a guarantee because you could play Zach Clements next to Ernest Uday, or you could play Zach Clements next to KJ Adams if we consider him a big. Yeah, and he still doesn't get on the court. And I, th- I think the problem, what you're going to run into is, um, particularly with K.J. Adams, if you do play that, your second, if you if you decide to play too big ball, your second big, anytime K.J. Adams is on the court, you're going to have to have a big that can score. Unless K.J. Adams, over the course of this offseason, really improves his scoring. Because um, he was, and now I don't want to sit here, and I'm not going to tell you he was terrible at it, but it was clearly... Um, something that he could stand to work on. And so I, I would just assume that whatever other big is on the floor with K.J. Adams, if they indeed go two bigs, that second big will probably be a better offensive basketball player, at least to start the season, than K.J. Adams. Um, but K.J., by all accounts, is a very coachable kid and, and can learn, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, if he's putting up double-doubles, not maybe regularly, but occasionally you'll see a double-double out of him um, at some point in his career at Kansas because he he is a smart kid. He can learn. Um, but with Cam Martin, he's shown at least at the D2 level to score and score well. So maybe that's where you find a niche for him, that you've got a, a big, if you want to go the two big lineup and you're given a breather to maybe, you know, to, to a, a big who can score a little better and the other guy is KJ, well, then you have that combination of KJ and Cam and Cam takes over the the scoring role on the offensive end, um, and and maybe KJ is kind of a cleanup. Yeah, I, I think that's that's you know a, a good little situation that could end up working. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I just I can't help but wondering if transferring out of the program wouldn't be for his best. And and I know we passed the the deadline. Like I said yesterday, um, there's still 48 hours that sometimes it can process. So who knows? Maybe we could find out later today, or maybe even. You know, at some point, like later tonight, of the idea that maybe somebody did transfer and we just hadn't heard about it yet. But even if he didn't, uh, there's a lot of kind of circulation around that 
the NCAA at this point with the transfer portal is just like, no, we're, we're not going to monitor this thing. So if you just ask for a waiver, like we're, we're going to probably grant it to, especially in his case, like if you were to say, you know, I'm going to go back to Missouri State, I'm going to go back home and, and go close to home, go to Missouri State or, or one of these schools that, that's kind of near my home, that even though he would technically have to drop to a D2 to be eligible, if he gets a waiver, he could. Well, so, yeah, he could stay D1. Exactly. So maybe maybe that would be something that would be on his, his – I, I just view that to be his best situation for – uh, playing out and getting playing time, but by all accounts, like he is, he has kind of been adamant in the fact that he wants to come back and and help Kansas this year. Which I can't ever blame a guy for saying that. You know, even if it doesn't look great, if he wants to say, you know what, I want to stick around and fight for it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm not going to blame you for it. I agree completely. Just like I, I won't, and and I know you agree with this too. You don't blame a kid if he says, "Boy, I really like it here, but I want to be on the court." Yeah, like Tristan Anaruna. Exactly. I want to be on the court. That's an okay decision, too. And look, if Cam Martin um, and and Bill Self, whether it be because he's frustrated with the kid or whether it be because, like a Latrell Jostle, that he doesn't dislike the kid, he's just up front and says, you know, I don't know where next year we're going to find room for you on the court. He's up front with the guy. So even if he and, – and look, I don't – we said what we said earlier about Cam Martin, but I don't know how Bill Self feels about him. He may love him. But the point is – if he he will be honest with Cam Martin about his situation, and he will he will say to Cam, "Look, you need to improve here, here, and here if you want a shot at playing on the court this year." Or he will also be honest and saying, "I just don't see a spot for you with this guy, this guy, and this guy coming." Um, or he'll say, "No, if you if you really get going, yeah, you you have as good a chance to play as any anybody." Regardless, what we know is Self's not going to lie to the kid. No. And and, and what, whatever decision Cam Martin makes, it will be – he will know for sure his place and what his chances are finding the floor next year. Okay, so let's get into that floor and ceiling talk, realistic floor and ceiling. I know technically you could say, well, the floor is he, you know – Unanimous player of the year. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ceiling is he – uh, makes every single shot yeah, and yeah. wins every – you know what I mean. But realistic, realistically – um. Because the floor for me is he doesn't play outside of garbage time. We have the same floor. Okay. Uh, the ceiling for me is he beats out Ernest Uday because of experience. KJ Adams is more of a three or four wing type. And so basically at that point, he is a bench version of Zach Clements, where Zach Clements is the starter. Um, but then that allows you to say, hey, we can play the exact same way. Because we have, you know, whether Clements is in or Cam Martin's in, we can play the same way. It run the same sets, same type of actions because we have two centers who can shoot the three and he plays 10 to 15 minutes a game off the bench. I don't even know that I think his ceiling's that high. I And, and I just think um, I'm always weary about somebody whose ceiling depends on other guys not being up to snuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I just, I would, you know... I just don't know that he is a good enough, and maybe I'm way wrong. Okay, here, well, let me ask you a question. I, I just don't know if he's good enough to show up and and force Bill Self to say, "Look at me, I'm good enough to be on the floor." And if if his chances of getting on the floor consistently are this guy kind of jumping, you know, this guy kind of coming back to a level lower than we thought he would be, um, I wouldn't count on that happening. Yeah, uh, my question I was going to ask. Is that a bad sign then? If Cam Martin gives you 15 to 20 minutes a game, I know I said 10 to 15, yeah, but if he gives you 15 to 20, is that 
not a bad sign for him or anything. It's yeah. just a bad sign that, that somebody didn't either develop. Zach Clemens didn't develop or Ernest Uday didn't hit right away or something like that. Right now, I'll say yes because I haven't been overly impressed with Cam Martin. Granted, we only saw him from brief minutes in exhibition games, so I could be way off. Um, but I'm I'm willing to you know look like an idiot in December and go, man, this kid is getting on the floor, but it's because he looks really, really good. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong there. At this moment, I will say no. If he's playing a lot of minutes, it's because somebody didn't come along the way they thought they would. The one thing I will say, because like I said, I think defense could be a question, and I don't think he's a good match. You can't play too big basketball with him and Clements. Um, is the idea that, you know, the questions we've had about who can be a post scorer on the team. We know Clements can hit threes. We know KJ can defend. We we think we know that Ernest Today is going to come in and hustle and be a rim runner and pick and roll guy and get put back dunks and blocks and stuff. Um, Kim Martin does have the efficiency to. I I don't know how it translates to D one in terms of being a good post scorer, but he showed it a lot in addition to the three point shooting. So maybe that is uh, one thing in his favor. But that is our deep dive on Kim Martin. We'll talk more about him with Matt Tate coming up in about 15 minutes right now. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. At that time on a Tuesday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. You know, earlier in uh, today's show, we've just been kind of every few days, we'll, we'll hit up a new player and do kind of like a deep dive on a player who was on last year's team who is coming back or could be coming back to uh, this year's team. And, and the one we were doing today was Cam Martin. And um, I, I think this is one of the more unique ones because you look at a guy like one of the comparisons we made was Ryan Hawkins, who was playing at Northwest Missouri State. It was a D2. He's averaging, you know, similar-ish numbers to Cam Martin. He made the jump up to Creighton, and he almost helped Creighton beat Kansas in the second round of the NCAA tournament, went on to average over 13 points, nearly eight rebounds per game. So clearly the jump can be had there, but um, I don't I don't know, maybe a different player, different fit, all those things. I just I can't help but wonder if Martin is going to be a guy who we just never really see much from in a KU uniform because he, I feel like the opportunity is there to get kind of buried on the depth chart um, or maybe you eventually transfer out. I know we're past the deadline, but uh, if something comes in late processing or, you know, I know there's still talk about could these guys get waivers somewhere and could the NCAA just kind of loosen that stuff up because they're at a point where they just don't really care about it anymore. Um, I, I guess what do you view to be the outlook for uh, Cam Martin this upcoming season? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's – Really tough because I, I think that I, I think that there's a lot of unknowns with with Cam, right? I mean, I think when they signed him, the the idea was that this is this is going to be a dude who can play, and he'll be a, a different piece than KU's had, and and he's a legit talent. And the jump, while it will create some issues in terms of just adjustment and comfort and things like that. No one then thought the jump would be too difficult for him. Uh, I think largely because of the way he plays, which is, you know, perimeter-oriented and he's strong enough to, to hang and things like that. But we just obviously didn't see it. And 
as much as maybe the red shirt thing surprised me a little bit when it happened, uh, and they announced it early in the season, you know, the, the, it, it wasn't a total surprise for two reasons. Number one, obviously the minutes would have been tougher to come by. Number two, this is a guy who, you know, he, why wouldn't you stay at Kansas two years as opposed to one? You know, I think it was probably a real easy sell to him. So I, I think having said all that, we're still in that same boat of we don't know if if he can really um, play a big role at that level. Having having talked to some of his teammates and, and heard about what he did in practice and things like that, it sounds like he can. It sounds like he can play, and it sounds like – um, you know, him sliding into a bigger role won't be a huge, uh, a huge leap or anything like that. Uh, but until we see it, yeah, it, it, it definitely, it definitely begs the question of whether it's actually going to happen or not. And um, I, I also think that, you know, I talked to him a little bit at the parade, and um, what I what I gathered from that conversation was that this is a dude who's really motivated. I mean, he, you know, listen, he. He knows that he didn't play on this team that won a title. He practiced. He traveled. He was a part of the game, right? But, but deep down, he knows he didn't score a single point, grab a single rebound, or do anything to contribute to that title in, in terms of you know, what you typically think of. So I think he's motivated by that. I think he's hungry and, and wants to show that, like, you know, hey, I can play, and I can be part of a great team, too. And and I don't think he's sitting there crying in his beer or anything like that over not playing. I think he was comfortable with the decision to redshirt and all of that. But but, but I do think he's highly motivated to uh, to make sure that whatever he can do to, to make next year's team a team that's, you know, got a chance to defend and, and worthy of that title of, of reigning national champs and all that, I, I think – I think that stuff means a lot to him. So, um, you know, does that mean he goes out and scores a bunch of points and, and has a big role? Obviously not. But um, but I think when you combine the fact that he's been here now for a year, he understands the system, he knows uh, kind of how it goes and what it takes with his just natural ability and talent and that motivation piece, uh, I, I think there's a lot of reason to believe he could have a big role. But, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, each roster is different. The, the, the final roster may not even be set yet. And, and, you know, there's still potential for a lot of things to change. So, um, really, we won't – I don't think you can start – I mean, I know why you're doing it, and I'll do the same. But I, I don't know that you can really start analyzing and evaluating what's to come until maybe August when it feels like it's actually kind of set. Yeah, and a lot of that is going to depend on, you know, decisions from draft guys and some transfers and uh, some big names have popped up in the transfer portal that have shown interest or vice versa or uh, however have, you know, come out on top six list or final two or whatever. Uh, so Kevin McCuller, who was uh, one of the better players for Texas Tech this past season, he has Kansas and Gonzaga, his final two. Tyrus Hunter has Kansas in his final. I forget if it's five or six. Isaiah Mosley has uh, seen interest from Kansas. Uh, which of those three, uh, because all of those guys seem to be a, not just with interest from KU, but also near the top when you look at you know transfer rankings of guys available, uh, which of those do you think make the most sense and uh, would be, I guess, the best fit for Kansas? Because obviously it's, it's not a situation where I'd imagine you'd get all three. Yeah, of course, right. That that would be insane, and and you want to talk about things really changing. That would be dramatic. Um, so so Hunter Mosley and McCullough is the three. Yes. Um, 
my my initial answer to that immediately goes to Hunter, um, partly because we've seen him, partly because I think he's probably the most talented of the three, um, and and partly because I, I think you know defense is is uh, he can score, he's got ability offensively, but I think defensively he's terrific, and uh, there's a lot to like about that, and obviously that's what what Bill Self likes the most, right? So my 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 immediate answer kind of leans that way but if if i thought about it more and as i've been rambling here i have thought about it more uh, i'm not so sure that the answer isn't mosley i mean for a couple of reasons number one he's kind of a natural scorer i don't know much about his defensive prowess at all uh, i have to look into that a little bit more um but obviously 20 points a game um can score at all three levels i mean he he's he's a, a legit scorer and uh and then you throw in the fact that he's crazy close with Dewan Harris and, and Christian Brown if he were to be back. I mean that uh, when you when you start looking at something like that and and you talk about the fit, it's hard not to factor that in. It's hard for that to not be a huge part of it. I mean um, one of those guys, if if any of them come, you know, will be new, right? And and there'll be some familiarity. Um, Hunter and, and McCuller both played against Kansas, you know, so they'll, they'll have kind of that vibe of, well, we know what you're about a little bit. Um, Mosley didn't play against Kansas, but he'll have that connection of knowing from two of his closest friends what it's like to be here. And, and you get the, the bonus of that extra knowledge and, and, and those sorts of communications that, that they probably had even before the possibility of him even coming here was, was on the table, you know? So, um, so, so fit wise, it might be mostly, um, because they probably are going to need some scoring. And, and on top of that, they, they, you know, they would benefit from, from his familiarity with at least Harris, but, but, but potentially Harris and, and Brown, um, McCullough's the one that's, that's the most interesting to me just because, well, first of all, he's down to two, right? I mean, if, if he doesn't stay in the draft and it's KU or Gonzaga. So, um, from a, from just a percentage standpoint, you're looking at, the best percentage chance right now of, of landing him. Um, but, you know, this is a guy that, that, that Bill Self has talked highly of uh, throughout his time at Tech. I mean, always calling him a future pro and, and you know, the, the difference that he made for Tech's team when, when he was on the floor and wasn't on the floor and healthy and not healthy and things like that. So um, he, he, to me, is most interesting because I think – you might be looking at if you're if you're out there trying to replace some wings um, like Ochai and like Christian Brown, you know, um, and potentially even Jalen for that matter. Um, you know, he he might fit that mold a little bit more because Mosley and and Hunter are littler guards, right? Sort of that Remy Remy replacement type of vibe. So um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think if they land any of them, they're in good shape. I think any of the three would be, would be a really nice addition. Um, to, to this Kansas team, but also to any team. I mean, that's 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 what you're finding out now. I mean, just like the the Shireman kid who's going to Creighton, who wouldn't take him, right? I mean, no, there's no there's there's no reason to be surprised by the fact that he heard from a few dozen schools because, of course, you look at that you look at that length, you look at that shooting ability, you look at his athletic ability, you look at his size. I mean anybody would take that guy on their team. So I think as the portal continues to rage on, I think that's that's what you're going to find more and more. And, and maybe everybody's shocked that Hunter 
is looking to leave Iowa State or McCullers done with Tech or whatever. But um, but you know this is this is all largely business decisions, and I think guys are trying to make these moves to ex- get the best exposure they can and and position themselves as as best they can to to get noticed, and then also to learn and be ready and and be developed and prepared. And and it's hard to it's hard to dog a kid for for thinking that. My chances at the NBA are better going through Kansas, Kentucky, or Duke than they are at at you know uh, Missouri State or Iowa State, even right. I mean, it just that, that doesn't seem like that big of a reach. So um, it, it, it's a weird time. It's a wild time, but um, all those guys are going to land somewhere else, and and whoever gets them is is going to benefit big time. Yeah, I uh, I, I kind of wonder if. Because I don't know, as, as I look at this roster and, and a lot of this hinges on the Jalen Wilson decision, I don't know that, I, like, like, I see a lot of guys that, whether they have Tyrese Hunter or not, like, you have a bunch of lead guards with Dwan Harris, Joe Yesfu, Bobby Pettiford, who can all play that role. Um, you have some more of, like, shooting guard, small forward types with, you know, Grady Dick or playing one of those other lead guards at the two position and MJ Rice and stuff. You have at uh, the center position a lot of guys who can kind of play that spot. I look at the four spot, and if you don't have Jalen Wilson, like I, I don't see a lot of guys who would, you know, you could play whoever there, and I'm sure they'll figure it out just fine. But there's not that, like, nail candidate, unless maybe it would be like K.J. Adams progressing into year two or something, that you say, yeah, he is a four. So I can't help but wonder if, I don't know, maybe I know Kevin McCuller didn't really do that at Tech, but he is the biggest of the bunch. I, I don't know. As, I guess as, as you look at, at the roster right now, what is the biggest hole that you think they would have to fill, whether that would be a specific position or something they need, like shooting or defense or this or that? Uh, what is it that, that you think uh, would be the biggest thing that they could try to gain in the transfer portal? I'll give you three because I think it is – I mean, it's easy to it, – it, sorry, it's harder to just pick one, I think. I think they need shooting. I do. Um and that's especially true if, if Christian Brown leaves. I mean, yeah, you're bringing in Grady Dick, who might be a – the better, the best shooter on this entire roster. Um, he might have been this year, you know, but um, you're losing Jalen Coleman Lands, you're losing Ochai, and, and if you lost Brown, that's, that's three of your top three point shooters, you know, period. So I, I think you need shooting. I, I think they've got to address the, the five. I mean, Zach Clements and, and KJ Adams and, and Cam Martin, I mean, there's certainly all possible options there, and so is Ernest, the freshman coming in. Um, but, but, you know, Ernest isn't, isn't, I mean, look, Joel Embiid didn't even start right away. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not like Ernest Uda is automatically going to, going to be this guy who, oh, just cause he's a freshman and he's a big guy, you know, he, he there's going to, there's going to be some, some time needed for him to be ready to contribute, I think. Um, so who else am I, I mean, who else, you know, there's just not really, there's really not another option as, as that true guy, like a McCormick or, or somebody like that, Yudoka that you can just throw the ball down to and play through and things like that. I mean, Cam Martin may be the best of that group, really, unless I do think there's potential for K.J. Adams to develop in that way. But but then you're looking at, what is he, 6'8"? He's not, you know, he's right. not 6'10". So there's a little difference there. So I think those two things need to be addressed for sure. And then, and then I do think um, – I think you're right. I think you nailed it when you look at, uh, you know, Yesifu and Harris and, and Pettiford as lead guard types. But I don't think you can have too many of those. Um, and, and, uh, and, and you know, losing the ball handling and playmaking skills of Remy Martin 
is is a factor. It's a it's a it's a thing you have to you have to address. And and so I think um, you know bringing in another another guy like that, which obviously would be a Tyrese Hunter type of guy. I just don't think you can ever have enough ball handling. So um, it's uh, it's 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 really hard to say, especially on a, on a roster where you you don't automatically look and know that there's. It'd be different if they didn't have their their incoming class set right, I and mean, if they had four scholarships to give, well, you could go get all of those things. But right now, I don't think you can get all of those things. So, I think what what you have to do is prioritize what's most important, but based on what's available. And then off of that, I think you have to look back at the twenty twenty one twenty two team as sort of the. I hate to say the word blueprint because it's not really that, but sort of the the model, if you will, um, for for how this might go in the future because they're going to continue to recruit. They're probably going to continue to fill up early with, with, you know, November signings and guys like that. Um, And and so what what it comes back to then is when you get to spring, when the season's over and you're trying to look ahead, you're, you're not necessarily able to fill a bunch of holes because you have these available scholarships. You may have none. And what it comes down to then is exactly what it came down to with this group, and that was development. Um, it, a lot's been made out of, out of Self's comments after they lost to USC about how they had to get more athletic and all that stuff. You, you know, you've talked about it a hundred times. I've written about it a thousand times, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe it's backwards. Maybe I've talked about it, or uh, written about it a hundred, and you've talked about it a thousand. I don't know. But, but the point was, at the end of the day, when things got, got toward, you know, crunch time again in, in the very next season, it was still Ochai. It was still Christian Brown. It was still Jalen. It was still McCormick. And all those guys got better. And so I think the development piece in this year to year, which is why a guy like K.J. Adams is so fascinating to me because I think his ceiling might be the biggest of all. And I think depending on how you want to use him and, and what you expect and need from him, if you can get him to develop in that role, I think he can be a big-time player. And, and, and not just him. There's others, you know. But, but I, I think the development part of it is, is – and not just in Kansas, but probably everywhere, but especially a place that can't like Kansas, where where it fills up early in the recruiting season. I, I think that um, I think that that's going to be such a huge part of it, and and that's why coaching is important. That's why you know continuity within your culture is is important, and and you know obviously Kansas has that right now. Um, even a place like Villanova has that. Even with losing Jay Wright, you know they're they're moving on with a with a coach who they hope will keep that train rolling with that same culture and that same style and philosophy and all that stuff. So I, I think that's that's such an important part of the development. And, uh, and 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 having said that, I mean the development part of it's I think massive because you just don't know how often you're going to be able to to go take even though this this portal thing's going is here to stay and and it's going to be attractive year after year after year with you know top top level type talent it doesn't mean you're going to ever have room for all those guys or any of those guys so you know you make room if you can get one you figure it out but if you can't or you can't get two or three then you've got to fall back on coaching up the guys you have he is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work covering this offseason at the LJ World, KUSports.com. But before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. When was the last time you were stung by an insect? 
Oh man, let's say I don't. You know, I I used to be deathly afraid of bees when I was little, and yeah. I don't. You know, I think maybe who isn't? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a me thing. I think in, unless you're really allergic, really the first just getting stung once kind of takes away that fear. Totally, totally. Because you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, that, wasn't, that wasn't so bad. Right, it sucks. You know, it itches a little bit. It's red or whatever. But yeah, like, I, you know, I I don't think that's ever exactly right. I think it's happened. I just don't. It doesn't stand out to me. I don't really. I don't really remember. Oh, I got a bee sting or whatever. Uh, I do remember. Let's see. Well, today is my anniversary. As a matter of oh, fact, happy, an- uh, happy anniversary. You, this ties in perfectly well. Um, so th- we've been married three years now, and in 2019, we took a honeymoon to a place called Palm Island, which is one of the greatest places on earth. It's near Barbados, and total relaxing. Like had to take a flight to Barbados, a small flight to this tiny island, and then a boat to Palm Island. I mean, it was one of those straight out of a movie type of things. And, you know, there's no there's no electricity. Everything's run on generators. There's no cars. This island's tiny. It's awesome. And anyway, we were we were relaxing one day and just swimming in, in the ocean, perfect water, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, got, I got stung by a jellyfish. And it was Whoa. like, not wow. so much that it was like a killer, like it ruined the rest of my day, but um, didn't see it, felt that moment of, ah, you know, and, and, and immediately pulled my, I think it was my arm, pulled my arm back out of the water and, and, you know, looked around, didn't see anything, but, but it was, it was like an electrocution and, and then it just itched for, you know, a couple hours. And so that, that would be without going further into detail, that would be the last <laughs> one I can remember. Um, you should have stung it back with remember. You should have stung it back with back under your yeah, it puts you back in paradise. I'm I'm happy to remember that Let's, one, especially today of all days. I was going to say that should have stung. You should have stung it back with your weird toenails. There you <laughs> go. You throwback. Write, you write all this down. <laughs> I feel like at the end of at the end of the calendar year, you're going to write this like you're going to draw this like weird character of all the people that you do one last thing with. Yeah, and, we're just collecting like, data for this and then going to sell exactly. it off to Elon Musk when, yep. with uh, Twitter and everything. We're going to make so much money off this stuff. But, uh, Matt, so thank you for the time, man. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good rest of the week. Let's see if that sun will come out. And maybe it'll feel like May here sometime soon, huh? There we go. He's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Check out his work, Matt. Appreciate it as always, man. Thank you. All right. That was Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Always enjoy our conversations with Matt. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. RCST trivia next. We have the defending champ followed by the enemy of the tournament. A couple great matchups today on the other side. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code RockChalkSportsTalk. That's RockChalkSportsTalk, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. We have two RCST trivia matchups today in the Sizzling 16. So we're going to have two people make it on 
to the grade eight. If you've already made it here, you've collected two $25 gift cards to 23rd Street Brewery, an RCST trivia t-shirt, $10 to Hawaiian Bros, thanks to Kurt Geeser State Farm, $20 to CBD of Lawrence, and a voucher for a free sandwich and a breakfast sandwich at McDonald's in the local area. If uh, you move on to the grade eight, so one of you will, I've never had a tie yet, so uh, not expecting one. Uh, you'll receive a voucher for a free VIP car wash at Mr. D's Auto Wash. You'll receive some home field apparel gear thanks to Pella Doors and Windows. Use code RockShock Sports Talk for 15% off your first order with home field apparel. $30 of credit for Jayhawk NFTs at rockchalk.io. $25 gift card, another one to 23rd Street Brewery and auto entrance into RCST Trivia 2023. Our first matchup of the day is a 1-5 matchup. This has been the the most chalk region so far. We kind of have the bottom left region is the region of death. The uh, bottom right is where we've had the the two Cinderella's and, and Garrett got by Quentin yesterday. The top right is featured with our, uh, I guess, the enemy of the tournament and Nick Schwert. And this one has been really good all the way around. And uh, we got the five seed Ryan Goodwin taking on the one seed Eric Hansey. So, uh, Ryan, um, I know this is a big week for you just in terms of, of work. You've got a, a big conference tournament in store for you. Has that made it uh, a little more difficult for you to kind of keep focus and, and get prepared for this matchup? Uh, incredibly, it has. Uh, <laughs> we we actually, our opponent who we thought was playing changed yesterday, and so having to go over those scouting reports, um, this, this has a good chance to be Eric's easiest win of all time, at least this deep in the tourney, so... Um, you know, and, and Eric's our, Eric already in himself, he's a formidable enough opponent, you know, I believe what he's, the, has the most wins of anybody left That's in right. the bracket at all times. So, you know, it's, they, they, this is wide open for him to walk through the door and win this one. Well, you're sandbagging a little, you're still four and two all time, 20 and six on questions, eight and four this year. Eric, meanwhile, you've not missed a question this year. Uh, your second round matchup was a little easier than your first seven and oh, and not just the most all time trivia advancements, but. You are sitting two trivia correct answers behind Isaac for most correct answers of all time. Is that on your mind at all as we enter this this uh, matchup? Uh, not at all. You got to have the blinders on, and uh, you know, as Nukalouche says, one game at a time, and, and let the let the championships and titles fall where they may. And by the way, um, again, don't uh, know if this was intentional from Ryan's standpoint because he got the the nice cool Baker hoodie on, um, but this worked out. I, I do believe Eric did this on purpose. He listened to the home jersey thing, so he's wearing the white jersey. It's a New York Knicks jersey. Whose jersey is that? Uh, embarrassingly, this was a auction purchase. It is a Cole Aldrich worn jersey. I, I love it. Being a trivia fan, I forgot he played for the Knicks, but um, <laughs> there you go. All right, well, I love it. So he's got the home, and then Ryan's got the the away colors on, so it works out perfectly. I love it when we get the uh, festivities in order. Well, that said, we're going to get into our matchup here. As we cue the music and Ryan, you are the lower seed, so you have the option. Would you rather go first or go second? I'm going to go second. All right. That means, Eric, you're up first, our defending champ, one of three members to make it to the Sizzling 16 all three years. Eric, what school was Remy Martin at prior to Kansas? Arizona State. Yep. Beat KU couple of times, including in Allen Fieldhouse. All right, Ryan, for you. Name a school that Jalen Coleman Lands was at prior to Kansas. Iowa State. Yep, Illinois, DePaul, Iowa State, Kansas. Well-traveled was Jalen Coleman Lands. All right, on to the medium round of questions. Eric, what round did Kansas make it to in the NCAA tournament 
in Larry Brown's final season at Kansas? Uh, National title. Yep, won the national title over Oklahoma. Quite a run it was, and then he left before KU missed the tournament due to NCAA sanctions. And the guy that took over was Roy Williams. Ryan, this one for you. What round did Kansas make it to the NCAA tournament in Roy Williams' final season at KU? We unfortunately lost in the national title game. That's right. Lost to Syracuse. Who could forget? Never got a title with KU. Got close. Never won in the end. All right. On to the hard round of questions. To scoot up the intensity. Back to you, Eric. In KU's narrow victory over 16-seeded Holy Cross in 2002, only two players, both starters, wound up in double figures. Name either of them. Good Drew Gooden. That's right. Drew Gooden, Jeff Boshi. Were the two answers? A lot of fans would, uh, a lot of opposing fans anyway, would say take two points off of his because with KU dribbling out the clock, he uh, dunked it. So uh, had a Brandon Green move there. Yeah, we know what Bill Self would have called that one. Although it's the NCAA tournament, you know, seal it however you can. All right, Ryan, stay alive. In KU's 75 to 61 second round win over Purdue in 1997, Kansas had two players record double doubles. Name either of them. Rafe LaFrance. Yep, Paul Pierce, Rafe LaFrance. Am I right in that neither of those guys even played 30 minutes also? I don't have it in front of me I with the like minutes. I feel like going but, through checking, double-checking that, that factoid, I think I saw that that's the, an, that's the, top, the top was like 29 or 30 minutes for both of them. Those guys were pretty darn good. All right, on to the really hard round. Back to you, Eric. On December 22nd, 1992, this Jackson State player dropped 48 points on KU, more than any other player has ever scored on Kansas. What's his name? In the NBA. Point guard. Ten seconds. Lindsey Hunter. Woo! And that uh, is why he is the defending champ. That's bananas. Mm. Lindsey Hunter. All right, Ryan. Pressure's so wait, on. Real quick, sorry, <laughs> but did a uh, did a certain guard from OU not break that record? Buddy Hield, he did not. I thought what did he get in? The, I thought he got to fifty in the in the no, overtime game. Forty something. Ah, all right, sorry about that. Interrupted. Let's uh, move on. All right. To you, Ryan. On February 13th, 1999, this Texas Tech player went 18 for 18 on free throws. The best ever against KU. What's his name? Man. Ten seconds. The only guy I can think of from that era, era is TJ Ford. Mm. 
Correct answer is the father of one Trey Young. It would be Rayford Young is oh, the correct okay. answer. Uh, Ryan, saying back that name, is that a name you remember or is that just one that you wouldn't have got around to? I remember the name, but I would not have got around to it. Just to be clear, he he said, I don't, I mean, it, it, I know you probably wouldn't have gotten it anyway, but he, just to be clear, you, you guessed TJ four, but it was a Texas Tech player, mm-hmm. not a Texas player. Oh, I thought he said Texas. Oh shoot, I'm sorry. Um, I still, I still want to got to that one um, with Rayford Young, but that was, yeah. I, I, I wish I could have had Eric's because I knew that one right away. Really? Uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to coach at Jackson State before. So wow, uh, funny how that yeah. would have tied together. Sometimes the the questions don't go your way. Eric, did you know the answer to the Rayford Young one? Uh, Andre Emmett would have been who I guess that was the first name that popped in my head. And how did you come around to the Lindsey Hunter one? I I looked at it. I mean, it was a week or so ago. Um, and I remember being shocked that he played at Jackson State. I mean, I, if it's the same Lindsey Hunter, I remember him playing. Like, um, yeah, just kind of stuck out there and was trying to run through the Pistons rosters. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, by the way, I just looked. Buddy Hill scored 46. So, so he away. came up short. Two okay, away. I thought, I, for some reason, I had it in my mind. He may have, I don't know, he may have, you could have told One me. more overtime. You, yeah, you could have told me he went for 60, and I'd be like, okay, yeah, that, that's <laughs> sure. probably right. Well, Ryan, that's a tough end for you, but, uh, you know, might have moved yourself up the seed line, maybe a spot or two for next year's edition, and uh, we were talking beforehand. I think that you might be a uh, pretty high seed if we do a football one, although I don't know if we're going to seed it. I don't, I don't know how we're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, we got to figure out the the, oh. the system for yeah. that one. But uh, good luck this week in the uh, Hart Conference Tournament. Thank you. Appreciate it, Derek. Great job, Eric. Go win it. Eric, congrats, Thank man. You. We'll see you next week. All right, take care, guys. That was fun. That I mean, was it, really fun. Ryan was uh, – he, he was – you know, he he's – He's a little too uh, modest, I think, I, or maybe he's just <laughs> yes. sandbagging, like you were saying. No, but I think got he's all modest. the way got all the way to the really hard category. Um, and if the questions would have came in the opposite he way, he would have exactly would have advanced. You're absolutely right. Um, I don't think you know. I I don't think he as I don't think. Um, I how am I trying to word this? I hope listeners give enough credit to how those hard answers because they both answered them very quickly. Um, but those are not, I mean, you got to figure that was 20 and 25 years ago, right? Which it seems like those are like 20 years ago to me, like the difference between 2022 and 2002 to me doesn't seem long. No. I was alive. I remember going to those games against Holy Cross. Um, but it's, you know, but you think the difference between like 1998 and 1978 seems like forever. Oh, yeah. You no, know what I, I mean? Me and uh, me and my wife were like listening to music on a car ride somewhere and it, we were just on like Pandora or something. They have a station now for the 2010s, which like yeah. you think of in your head and you're like, ah, 2010, that's not that long. That's like 12 years ago. Yeah. So like I mean, now, oh my god, 20 gosh. years ago is now look, it, it's probably that question would have been easier for probably a guy like me. Like if it was just me versus you. You would have only been seven years old, but I would have, you know, I was at that game. So, you know, it just kind of depends on luck of the draw, what question you get. But I mean, 20 years and 25 years ago is a long, long time. Yeah, it is. And so that they, I mean, they both with really little time um, got that. I did like the Lindsey Hunter um, answer at the buzzer. That was a, that was a nice little, that was a big one for Eric Christian, Christian Brown three at the buzzer, the shot clock against Villanova. Yeah. And by the way, we didn't pot, we didn't do the thing like in, you know, when, 
when a player hits their 700th home run or Barry yeah. Bonds breaks the record and they pause the game, they play like a video tribute. Oh, that's right. We should have had Isaac send in like a video tribute to be like, congratulations, Eric, but yeah, I'm like coming the, for you next year. Peyton Manning did for Drew Brees and yeah. all that. Yeah, they, it's a good point. Uh, uh, that would be fun. But um, Eric is now the not on, only all-time winningest in terms of rounds advanced, which he now is a, a uh, like a little cushion in between there with him at 14, Isaac at 12. Um, but he also has the most correct answers. He's at 60, Isaac's at 58, and he still is going to have an opportunity for more as he's in the grade eight. And uh, by the way, once again, going through the prizes that he will get, he is getting a voucher for a free VIP car wash and Mr. D's auto wash. Mr. D's located at 1300 West 6th Street in Lawrence. Get your car looking good at Mr. D's in Lawrence. Home field apparel gear, that thanks to Pella doors and windows. Pella can handle all window and door needs from turnkey replacement to new construction and commercial applications featuring all window and door types from vinyl to fiberglass and a long history of wood and clad products. Pella doors and windows located on the southwest corner 6th and Walker Russo will get your house looking right and uh, because of them we'll be giving away some home field apparel gear gear which is super comfy super great stuff you can use code rock chalk sports talk if you want 15 percent off your first order with a uh also a 30 dollar credit for jayhawk nfts go to rockchalk.io to check that out get your ku collection started we've mentioned this a couple times there are some like people who pull packs and they get a really like rare card, rare card. and you sell it for a thousand dollars. So that could be big money. It could just be a cool collector's item. And they're also kind of a cool. We we had the guy on who uh, who mm-hmm. works with that, and and he kind of mentioned just kind of the cool community aspect of it. You connect yeah, with they have other like players, people. talk in the yeah exactly and stuff. Yeah, uh, another twenty five dollar gift card to Twenty Third Street Brewery because every round you advance. That's another $25 to the brewery from the Bill Self Mac and Cheese to a Crimson Fog or Wave the Wheat to wash it down. And Eric, well, I mean, he already had this anyway. You get auto entrance into RCST Trivia 2023. If you win it all, you get lifetime entrance. Well, yeah, and so he had that anyway. You know, so um, I don't know. Maybe we'll start adding in a clause where if we do the the football one, like you get auto entrance into that if you make a, a certain round. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, um, we'll figure something out on that. But heck of a first matchup for us between Eric and Ryan and in the end, Eric, the defending champ, gets through to the grade eight for his third consecutive year. Heck of a run by Ryan. Our next matchup is a battle of Knicks, Nick Duncan, and the villain of the tournament, Nick Schwert, on the other side. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Second and final Sizzling 16 RCST trivia matchup today. And it is in the South region. Winner of this will take on the winner of Justin and Brandon. It's a battle of Knicks, the five seed, Nick Schwert, the villain of the tournament, the eight seed, Nick Duncan, the, I don't know, the the shockwave creator of the tournament, took out our 2020 champion, Isaac, in the second round with uh, one of the, I don't know, bigger upsets we've seen so far in RCST trivia in our couple years of doing this thing. Once again, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros, our title sponsor, 23rd Street Brewery. So, Nick Duncan, I guess I'm going to have to refer to you guys by your last names or something. Um, uh, you make it through Isaac in the last round, which, again, as I said, that – that sent uh, pretty big ripples through the RCST trivia community. Have you had time to let it sink in of how uh, big of a victory that was? You know, I, I think I've always heard that it's uh, sometimes better to be lucky than good. So maybe I got a little lucky. Like, like I said that day, I got, got on the right side of the question. Hopefully it happens again today. 
Well, I don't know how much you've paid attention to the whole tournament, but the guy you're playing against is kind of the villain of this uh, trivia tournament. So um, is that extra motivation for you today that, you know, not only if you win, you move on to the grade eight and get all these great prizes, but um, that you would be able to kind of, you know, dump the bucket of water on the Wicked Witch? Well, from from everything I've heard, sounds like if I win this, I I better not ever have to buy a drink in Lawrence again. <laughs> Well, Nick Schwartz, you are the uh, other contestant here, the five seed, and you have reveled in being the enemy for everyone so far, but you just you keep making it through. Do you have any uh, any statement to make to the people that are wondering if this contest is rigged? No, but I do have a statement to make to you. First off, you're a hack. Uh, you're a joke of a host. I, this is the only competition where I've ever seen the host like openly uh, insult one of the competitors like even though we all know that duke and coach k was the villain of the ncaa tournament you didn't hear jim nance saying that on the broadcast jim nance wasn't sitting there saying you know what screw duke screw coach k i hope the other team wins so the fact that you continually berate me and insult me just kind of shows what a sham this whole thing is so i don't even care if i lose well, see, now you're just putting up your your wall of defense so that no matter what, when you do lose, yep. you can just say you don't care. But I think you do. I think deep down you uh, have a little soft spot spot in this uh, tournament here. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, cue the music and get things rolling here into the action. Nick D, you are the lower seed as the eight, so you have the option. Would you rather go first or go second? Go second. All right, that means Nick S, the enemy, you're up first. By the way, Nick... Matt Llewellyn, 23rd Street Brewery, obviously. Thank you to him and for being sponsors, providing the TV and everything. He was adamantly rooting against you last week against Leslie. He has hopped on your bandwagon now. So, um, just All another aboard. fan. I think you, Choo -choo, baby. It's a bandwagon of one. He's, I think, the only fan of you right now. All right. Uh, Nick Schwert, your first question. Name a school that Kansas earned two or more wins against this past season. Um, Kansas State. Yep. Took a little longer than you'd think, but ended up getting the right answer. Okay. Nick D. Name a school that Kansas lost to this past season. TCU. Yep. Also beat TCU twice. They would have uh, qualified in both answer pools. Okay, back to you, Nick Schwert. Wayne Selden threw down a monster dunk in the 2016 Big 12 Tournament semifinals against what opponent? Baylor. I think Baylor was wearing those highlighter yellow uniforms in that game. I could be wrong. Yeah, that was a uh, big one. Uncle Anthony there with the big clock and everything. Okay, Nick Duncan, back to you. Near the end of the 2015-2016 regular season, KU won 86-56 with a gigantic Jamari Trailer alley-oop dunk on the road against what Big 12 team? The Texas? Yes, it was. Down in Austin. That was a uh, pretty big one. Yep. His head, yeah, his head was like above 
the rim. Okay, on to the hard round of questions. We queue up the music. I don't know. Is this the first time for Nick Schwert in the hard round? Can't remember. All right. I was born in the hard round. <laughs> well, let's see. This one back to you, Schwert. Near the start of the 2010-2011 season, Kansas escaped UCLA 77-76 to at home thanks to a made free throw with .7 seconds left from what player? I have no idea. <laughs> I seriously have no clue. I mean, 2011, that would have been the VCU year. Oh, Lord. I don't know. Um, let's go with Tyshawn Taylor. Mario Little is the correct answer. Yeah, led you could have given me led to Ben Howlin launching a just throwing a huge fit. It was awesome. Yeah. Didn't get a technical. It's a joke of a question. It's a joke of a question. <laughs> well, you're a joke of a contestant. All right, Nick Duncan. <laughs> Near the end of the 2011-2012 season. Kansas came from behind to beat Missouri 87-86 to in overtime. What Jayhawk led the game with four blocks? Man. Between the two... Ten seconds. Gotta go with the one, made, one that made the big one, Thomas Robinson. What would have been your other guess? Withy. Correct answer was Kevin Young. Withy. Oh, yeah. Withy was uh, kind of a had difficult time with that matchup. He didn't play much in either game. Against spaced Missouri out that year. All right, hey gonna... Nick, those were, those were dumb questions. Do you want to just like <laughs> both of us quit in unity right now? <laughs> I, if, uh, if Nick Short wants I to agree. quit, then you get the uh, forfeit. So take him up on that. I'll, if take, he's... I'll, take, I'll take that. Another $25 gift card. There you go. All right, uh, Short, back to you. We're going to stay in the hard round. Kansas fell to Kentucky 92-88 to in the second round of the 1999 NCAA tournament despite a game-high 31 points from who? Uh, 1999... Okay, I'm going to go with who I think was the leading scorer on that team. Uh, I'm going to say Kenny Gregory. Correct answer is Ryan Robertson. You stink. All right. Nick Duncan. That was a 90s KU question. Doesn't he have like a shirt with a bunch of names from 90s Jayhawks on it? Yeah, 99 is kind of the forgotten year, though. All right. Yeah, we don't talk about 99 through 2001. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nick Duncan, here is your chance. Everyone is behind you on this question. The 1998 to 1999 Jayhawks were led in scoring at 13.5 points per game by this sophomore. Read that again. The 1998-99 Jayhawks were led at 13.5 points per game in scoring by what sophomore? About 10 seconds. I'll just go with what he just said, Kenny Gregory. See, that was that was evil because even though Nick Nick got it 
got it wrong. He was so confident <laughs> that Kenny Gregory led the team in scoring. The correct answer was Eric Chenoweth. Eric Chenoweth. <laughs> My bad, Doug. All right, we're going to scoot down. With 13. All right. Yeah, not not great. All right, back to Nick Schwartz. We're going to move down to the the medium round. Schwartz, that's right. This is where I'm comfortable. (laughs) Okay. I thought you were born in the hard round. Who led Kansas with nearly 24 points per game in the 1986-1987 season? Danny Manning. Yep, Danny Manning. Correct answer. All right, on to you, Nick Duncan. Who led Kansas with over 17 points per game as a freshman in the 2013-2014 season? Wiggins? Yep, Andrew Wiggins, the correct answer. All right, let's move back up to the hard round. You guys are bound to get one here. Back to you, Schwartz. What was the most points that Kansas trailed Missouri by in their 2012 comeback win? Uh, I think it was 19. I'll go with 19. That's right. I think it was, what, 14 and a half, and then it ballooned to 19? 12 and a half. half. It was 12 and a half? 12 and a okay. half, yeah. And then 19 at one point in the second uh, two, half. Two separate occasions. It was 56-37, then 58-39. I think these would be the questions you would just absolutely nail, Adam. All right, this one back to you, Nick Duncan, to stay alive. What was the most that Kansas trailed West Virginia by in their 2017 comeback win in Allen Fieldhouse? I want to say 17. Correct answer is 14. 14, the correct answer. That's what they were down. I think it was 64-50, and then they started the, uh, they the big started, comeback yeah, there. They started chiseling back, and Dick Vitale, people are leaving, baby. <laughs> well, he did it again. He did it again. Nick Schwert, you're moving on. Um, so do you care a little bit more now? No, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do, because Nick is a classy guy. You're not. Mm. And so I'll go ahead and say what he probably won't say is that that was a joke of a question for him. My question was easier than his. He got screwed by the questions. Everybody knows the Missouri game. That's one of the most infamous mm-hmm. games in the history of Kansas. Nobody like a, a meaningless West Virginia regular season game. Like everybody knows KU came behind from 19 down against Mizzou. So like I'm pissed on behalf of him. No, okay. I don't even want to be moving on. But I'm going to do it for Nick. So I'm going to go into the next round, and I'm going to win that on behalf of not just Nick, but all Nicks everywhere. Well, I'd just like to let you know we have a new uh, system this year called the IARP. It's the Independent Adam Review Process. It is that. And if you complain about questions, you are now subject to investigation. Yep. Right, good. Investigate away. Okay. Well, uh, Nick Duncan, uh, did you know the answer to the uh, Missouri one that the Nick Schwartz had? Yeah, I did know that one. Oh, so a little bit unfortunate. Uh, role of the questions play a little bit of a part there. Um, so uh, sometimes, you, sometimes you get on the good side. Sometimes you know. Yeah. Happens. Well, um, I think you acquitted yourself very well in your first edition of RCST trivia. Do you have plans of coming back into this uh, tournament next year? Yeah, like I said I, I was just sitting on the couch, and girlfriend talked me into doing it, and now I get to take her to Twenty Third Street and get some 
Bill Self mac and cheese. I was going to say, you, you better – if she's, be back. if she's the one who convinced you, you need, it's, you're need obligated to spend those gift cards on her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're definitely going. I've already told her. Love it. Well, yeah, you're you're still going home with fifty dollars of uh, brewery gift cards, an RCST trivia T-shirt, ten dollars to Wine Bros. Thanks to Kirk Geeser State Farm, twenty dollars to CBD of Lawrence, and a free breakfast sandwich and sandwich from McDonald's. Nick, you're uh, moving on to the grade eight. I can't say we're happy. I I am openly rooting against you. I, I have no problem saying that. And you so, know what? Uh, the Mario Little question was one I came up with, and that was allegedly a joke of a question. So now I'm rooting against Nick Schwert too. The whole operation over there is second rate. I, I'm just now. I'm just. I'm gonna win just to stick it to you guys. Well, there we go, guys. Appreciate you being part of trivia. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, the enemy. The enemy continues. That might have been. I thought he had him. It was. It was after the. And I'm allowed to say this now because we're talking about the NCAA tournament. It was after the Sweet 16 right. that you said the D- Duke, the enemy of that tournament. You declared they're winning this whole thing. <laughs> Are you, are, you, are you holding out hope that that such a declaration? I mean, that didn't wind up coming true, but are are you saying that's are you no. declaring it now? No, dude, he he went one and two in the hard round. He went one and two in the yeah. hard round. That's the, not the guy get you he, by. The guy who was born in the hard round. He got lucky. Okay, this was to your Crumpton, point on the Duke Crumpton thing. Murray would smoke wipe the him. floor with him. Wipe the floor with him. Uh, to your point on the Duke thing. When Gonzaga lost Arkansas, it was like, oh, that's interesting. Especially when KU was still in the tournament, it was like, oh, that gets rid of one of the top teams. Like, that yeah. could be great for Kansas. And it did end up being great for Kansas. They yes. didn't have to play Gonzaga yes. in a possible title game, which Kansas might have still won. You never know. But that would have probably been an even tougher match. All we know is they didn't right? play him and they won it. Exactly. But the one thing that Gonzaga losing did was open it up more for Duke because at that point it was like, oh, Duke's not losing to Arkansas, right? Yeah. Duke might have lost to Gonzaga. Even though Arkansas beat Gonzaga, it's like, you know. And, and Nick Duncan eliminated. I think Isaac would have wiped the floor with Nick Schwart. Yeah. But on that day, Nick Duncan just beat Isaac. And it was just a good draw for him, which, again, adds to the, the uh, I guess, thought that this thing could be rigged, which is unfortunate. Here's the question, though. Mm-hmm. We know it's not rigged. But if Schwart, I mean, Schwart's got to be looking at the rest of the bracket. If I mean, if he goes up against Crumpton Murray in the championship, mm-hmm. you think he's just going to intentionally, like, oh, I forgot, or intentionally blow his, his easy question just because he doesn't want to get so embarrassed. Like, well, I mean, well, no, he'll just no-show it. Well, he'll no-show yeah. it and be like, I care that little. Yeah, that I just, that's I how little I care. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of that happening. We can't let him make the phenomenal fourth, at the very least. So, Justin or Brandon, you got to do the Lord's work, whoever wins that matchup. He's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. More RCST trivia tomorrow. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back into RCST out early today for the City Showdown. Free State and LHS taking on each other in softball here on KLWN. Joined now, though, by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. You can check out Kevin and the 24-7 Sports crew just uh, released their updated way too early rankings for the 2022-23 college basketball season, which I do wonder, when do they transition from way too early to too early? Um but uh, Kevin, um, obviously, as part of that, um, 
I, I guess just diving into it, like, is there a team that you look at the rankings and kind of think like, man, I, every time I look at them, like I want to get them even higher. And every time I want to slide them up even more, but you just, you have trouble like getting them any further than they already are. You know, there's not necessarily a team. I, I think that sits in that spot. I, I feel like there's four or five teams, especially at this time of year where maybe they're a piece away and, you're sitting there waiting for that piece, whether it's, say, Gonzaga waiting on Drew Timmy, whether it's, you know, somebody who's out there waiting for a certain transfer guy that they're alleged to be in with, you know, like in, in Illinois or, or somebody like that. Uh, I think that when you, when you look at, at different teams like that, that's where it gets tricky at this point because I think – when you first do the rankings, and we put out our first way too early rankings immediately after the national title game, like before one shining moment even plays, our, our rankings are out there. And I think at that point, you're willing to accept an incomplete team, right? You're not looking at, okay, this team has to have a nine-man rotation that is visible to me at this point. Really, you're betting on, a, on you know, three and in some cases four players. Like Baylor, for instance, at that point, Derek, I don't think we knew who was going to play the four. I, I, we had to write out sort of a mock lineup for them, and I, I think our mock lineup was ridiculous because we just didn't have a power forward for them because they didn't have anybody to play power forward that projected that they were going to come back. And now I think when you look at at this point – the tricky thing is is you, you're starting to see some teams that have complete rosters, others that are really waiting on a decision or two that could really move them up or, or move them down. And I think it's kind of funny because, you know, obviously coming on, on this Kansas-based show, I feel like Kansas is one of those teams. I, I think we wrote that in our preview that as of right now, we have Baylor ahead of Kansas in our rankings, but Baylor is probably about as close to being finished as it could be, whereas if Kansas adds a, another piece, whether that's Isaiah Mosley, whether that's Tyrese Hunter or somebody like that, it's very easy to see Kansas overtaking Baylor, and I think that's part of the challenge with it. Is there a team that's not ranked right now um, for you guys that um, you could see finishing in the top ten if things kind of – go their way and, and things click? Purdue is a really tough one for, for me to leave out, uh, I, I think, personally. And, and when you look at Purdue, you say, well, they lost this guy, they lost this guy. But nobody really matches up well with a seven foot four center like you know Zach Eady. And you look at, at some of the other pieces that they return from this year and guys that are maybe going to take a step forward. I, I think Purdue could be a team that, that finds a lot of success uh, next year, and especially if they do go ahead and, and add a transfer. It, it's kind of funny. Uh, I know you didn't ask about this, but I almost kind of feel like Michigan State is the opposite. Like Michigan State is kind of clinging to its spot in the rankings, and yet you know Tom Izzo isn't really into the transfer portal. They added Tyson Walker last year, but – but they don't do it heavily, and even beyond that, you know, Izzo kind of smashes the transfer portal every chance he can get. And so, you know, Michigan State and Purdue, you're talking about two different 
you know, Big Ten teams and, and Michigan State barely being in the rankings, Purdue maybe being just outside of it, it wouldn't surprise me a bit to see Michigan State wind up having a season like it had, you know, a couple years ago where that was a team that was playing in one of the first four games, whereas Purdue, you know, potentially gets another piece or two and, and winds up being in that discussion as, as a top 10 type team. So there are some uh, big guys on the, the, the transfer portal market right now who um, just in, in general are, are kind of near the top of those lists but also have interest or vice versa or whatever it is with Kansas. Um, the three that really come to mind, Kevin McCuller, Tyrese Hunter, and Isaiah Mosley. How would you rank those three in terms of, I guess, most likely to come to Kansas and, and what would you think be the best fit? Well, I think McCuller still, based on what I've heard, you know, there's still a, a pretty good likelihood that that he winds up sticking with the professional route. And so, based on that, I, I would probably put him last. Uh, I, I think Kansas has a very good shot at Tyrese Hunter and, and Isaiah Mosley. I, I think both of those are are guys out there who have you know kind of ties to Kansas. You know, with Hunter, it, it's a little bit less. Uh, I, I do think that with I, I think it's Louisville getting the final visit with Hunter that worries you a little bit that they'll have the last chance to to kind of lay things out for him. But at the same time, I, I think if you get either Hunter or Mosley, you know you, you, you got to be pretty excited because I think Kansas could use an experienced guy to to play that two, you know, it's sort of a combo or, or whatever with. Dewan Harris. And I think with Tyrese Hunter, it would be more of a combo role, you know, playing two point guards, two complementary ball handlers together. I think if it were Isaiah Mosley, you're talking about more of a sort of a traditional two who can go out and, and get his points in a variety of ways. But when you look at the, the youth that Kansas has on the wings and at this point, when you're looking at Christian Brown being, you know, potentially a late first round pick and not returning, it would really help Kansas, I think, to add another guy into that mix who's played college basketball before, who can play that two spot and sort of allow MJ Rice and, and Grady Dick to maybe grow a little bit over the course of the season. You know, uh, you bring up kind of an interesting point with Tyrese Hunter. The last team he visits is Louisville. How much do you think? Like, as far as the, the order of visits, I, I don't know how much it's mattered in the past, you know, who goes first, who goes last. I would just think now that NIL is a thing, and hypothetically there could be, like, bidding wars over who can offer the most with NIL. Is that going to be a bigger advantage now moving forward for whoever does get the last visit because they can almost say, hey, I have this offer for NIL to go here can you guys beat that? And if you're the last school, you have the last chance to to up that. Yeah, and we've we've heard stories about that, not just in basketball, but but from the football side, that players are basically walking into meetings in some cases with coaches and saying, "Hey, Team X has said that I can get this much NIL money. You know what? What's your pitch?" And I think one of the most fascinating things about it right now, Derek, is I, I'm not sure. There are a lot of staffs in both football and basketball that are just not comfortable going there. You know, it's not even necessarily, hey, you know, we can't find NIL money for this guy. 
you know, once he gets here, hey, we're uncomfortable with the idea of NIL in general. I think it's more that we're uncomfortable with this being the recruiting pitch where you're coming in and basically treating it like a job interview or a meeting and saying to them, hey, you know, Gas Station X has this, you know, has this salary on the table. If I'm going to work at Gas Station Y, uh, I need this much money. And so football coaches talk all the time, offensive and defensive. They say that a lot of times the guy who wins is the guy who gets the chalk last, right? Because he gets to draw up the adjustment to the other guy's adjustment. And I think that when you look at, at NIL, there is maybe a little bit of an advantage not necessarily to having the last visit, but being able to have that final conversation and being able to know what the other offers are and not necessarily saying, hey, we're going to go over that amount, but just be basically being able to say, we know this is your best offer. You know, here's what you can get from us. I do think in recruiting, generally speaking, Derek, it's very interesting because there are some coaches who would rather go first because they feel like, hey, in boxing, you land that first haymaker and knock the other guy out. The other places don't even get their visits, right? And so some people would rather go first and have sort of that first swing at the pinata, so to speak, and and others would, would rather go last and have that final chance to, to make an impression. But I, I do think that in this case, it, it's going to be interesting to watch with Tyrese Hunter. Well, how much of those those three big transfers there, like how much of whether it's KU's decision to bring them on or their decision to come to KU, how much of those are affected by whatever Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown do? And does that give a tell into, like if, I guess if Kevin McCuller is in the NBA draft process, same for Isaiah Mosley, whereas Tyrese Hunter is not, like wouldn't the timeline line up better for those two guys? Yeah, I, I, it's it's funny you ask that because we see that all the time from a football standpoint, where basically a school will say, "Hey, look, we've we've got one scholarship for a linebacker, and if player X takes it before you do, uh, I'm sorry, you just you know we had that one." And Kansas obviously is operating with a limited number of scholarships. I would think that Kevin McCuller. As much as Kansas would love to have him regardless, I would think that his status would depend greatly on both what happens with Hunter and Mosley and what happens with Jalen Wilson. Because if Jalen Wilson is coming back, you've got the freshman wings in there as well. You know, I'm not sure. McCuller's a really good player. I'm not saying you couldn't find a role for him or or a spot for him, but I think that the need for him multiplies that much more if Jalen Wilson isn't going to be there. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a spot where either you're asking somebody like Grady Dick to play up and play the four, or you're asking somebody like KJ Adams, who's mostly played the five at the college level, to drop down and play the four. And so I think in that case, if Jalen Wilson were to stay in the NBA draft, Kevin McCuller's value would really multiply for Kansas. But I would think that given what we know with the current roster, given what we have what what we have in terms of numbers that we can see what they have at point guard, what they have at big man, et cetera. I, I think the spot that you can say definitively, hey, Kansas maybe needs this here, it, it's that two spot. It's the spot that's vacated 
Biochiabaji because I don't I'm not sure that MJ Rice or Grady Dick are, are necessarily natural twos at the college level right now, particularly defensively. And so if you can get either another point guard to play that spot, as we've talked about before, you know, having two point guards is terrific in March, having that extra ball handling, et cetera. Or you can get somebody who's more naturally a number two. That seems to be sort of the one roster, I wouldn't call it flaw, but that's the one spot where you can look at it and say Kansas could maybe really make an addition here. Well, that's kind of interesting. If they're not natural twos and, you know, they're not really fours because they're six foot five, then they're going to be in quite the competition with each other for a lot of those sure. three minutes there. I, I am curious, though, with, you know, kind of tying things back in with your way too early rankings. Like, hypothetically, let's say Jalen Wilson comes back, let's say Christian Brown is gone. And then let's say KU adds one of those three transfers, and, and you can kind of take it through the roadmap of if one would impact this more than the others. But um, where do you think they would be ranked at that point in, in terms of, I guess, just like a, a given range? Yeah, I think Kansas would be a top-five team. Uh, I really think that especially, you know, Mosley would maybe put Kansas right on that edge where you're talking, you know, five and you're kind of debating over your head with Baylor at that point, because I think Baylor was our number five, where it's really close. But I think if you get Tyrese Hunter, uh, I think that that one, you go ahead and, and put Kansas at, ahead of Baylor, you know, and possibly even jumping into that number four spot. I, I really love Houston. Houston is currently our number three team. I think Houston has the best backcourt in the entire country, and I think that Houston has a lot of talent and depth in the front court as well. So I'm not sure Kansas would jump up to number three, but I think with Hunter, the range would maybe be up to number four. And we've talked about it before, Derek. You know, I, I've seen some people talk about the concern with Hunter being, you know, the outside shot. It's not really something I'm worried about because I think when you look at the fact that he played 32 minutes a game, for a team that had a top five defense in Ken Palm and he was a true freshman and a primary ball handler, all of those things are, are going to drain your legs if you haven't even had a full offseason in a college strength and conditioning program. And so I think that when you look at, at, what, Hunter, uh, at what Hunter's capable of, I think you put him through a strength and conditioning program he knows it's expected of him, all of those different things. We saw Trey Jones at Duke maybe in kind of a similar situation in terms of playing a lot of minutes at point guard as a freshman and not really shooting well. And then the next year he was a pretty solid shooter. And so I think when you, when you look at Hunter, I think you can expect him to be an average to above average shooter when he comes back for his sophomore year. He's Kevin Flaherty. Check out those rankings and his work at 24-7 Sports. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Emperor Constantine III of the Byzantine Empire was born on this day in 612 A.D. What is your favorite memory of his time on the throne? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think... Uh... Uh, I think most people who uh, are, are Christians would, would have to say, you know, when Constantine went ahead and, and sort of saved things over to uh, to the Christians, you know, it, it started to be a, a totally different uh, different kind of empire at, at that point. But at the same time, you know, having uh, 
having not lived through those times, it, it's kind of tough for me to bring up a specific personal memory myself, but uh, I did the best that I could. I, that's that's more than I would have known. I'm proud uh, of Kudos you. to you. Yeah. Well, that Thank was... You. Uh, Thank you. You can't find stuff about Emperor Constantine, but you can find those way too early rankings and plenty others with uh, Kevin Flaherty's work in 24-7 <laughs> sports. Kevin, appreciate the time as always. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty. He's Adam Brevet. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST.